everybody, and welcome to The Human Element, Kara's new podcast about finding insight and humanity in modern marketing. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Neil Cardi, who's the founder and CEO of The Cardi Group. Neil had a, had a long story career in marketing and marketing services at places like MediaLink, and so we're excited to have him here on the pod. Neil, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So let's jump in. Talk to me a little bit about what inspired you to kind of start the Cardi Group and what part of the business you're aimed at. As you mentioned, I spent a long time on both the agency side and advising brands and media technology companies. And I think one of the parts of my process that I always felt was one, the most interesting, but also the most well-accepted was that idea of like sort of the real insight that was out there. And I actually started my career in consumer insight, so it's tough to get out out of that sort of facet. So like, you know, being a professional people watcher was always part of my remit in many cases. I always loved sort of navigating the conference circuit and working with early stage companies. And my, my firm that I started is focused on innovation strategy, but through the lens of education, discovery, and culture. Let's talk about events here for a second, because obviously you've been to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> On its face, we should expect a level of humanity and human connection at events. And yet, oftentimes, I think people leave some of these places and feel like that hasn't happened. One, what should it be like? And two, in those cases where it isn't, why isn't it? I I sort of like to say I've been like a fixture on the conference circuit for a number of years. And it's funny, I remember the first time that I went to places like South by Southwest, I walked into the office of my then um, sort of supervisor and and requested the funds to be there. And they almost laughed me out of the office. Right. In which case, I actually invested my own money to be there because I felt like there was a personal stake in being there too. And I think when you look at, there's always a role for those very large established conferences in the marketplace. and, And I'll always be there. But I think some of the ones that were more emerging blend this idea of this personal interest as well as professional. And the more you can blend the two together, the more productive they can be. And the question that I always get is, what is the ROI out of attending something? And it's very easy for someone that works, let's say, in sales to say, okay, I went to an event, I went to a conference, which is a term that I'm trying to almost abolish from my, my vocabulary because a lot of these new ones that are coming up are, are very different in, in their design. And you can say, hey, I've met someone that led to you know, increased deal flow, that led to revenue. But in other cases, when you're an agency or a brand, like you're not looking at the same KPI. So I think in many cases now we're looking to be inspired, we're looking to get insight, we're looking to validate our assumptions in Mark. And that's, that's sort of what I see those, those new events that I lovingly call them sort of the return of the Illuminati because they, they tend to exhibit a lot of the same sort of positive elements of, of those behaviors. These new events, what, what makes them different? You know, How are they fundamentally structured differently and what is it about them that maybe gives you know marketers or brands an opportunity to to drive a deeper connection yeah i mean first and foremost they're smaller and they're more intimate they're often invite only highly curated by the founders i like to go to actually ones that are on their first or second year because i feel like you're part of like that founding team to a degree it's easier actually to approach people from a human connection perspective and that you walk into let's say a large-scale technology event and there's 20, 30,000 people there, right? And you, everyone knows why you're there. In this case, when you go to a smaller event, you can say, hey, I, how did you know Jessica? Or how do you know Charles? Or whatever it may be, it feels like a much more intimate and um, sort of familial place. Right. I've found in recent years, it's like there are purpose-driven elements. So hmm. granted, look, they're, they're trying to command very large fees to attend as opposed to spending like $100 for a consumer electronics show, you're talking in upwards of $3,000 to $4,000, right? Which is very difficult for an organization to justify while you're there. But that's why they're trying to blend it almost as it's like a, a tourism element to it as well. Right. So they're in exotic destinations. and then This is good work if you can find it, Neil. 
it's tough. I've tried. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do, you know? And I, and I was fortunate to be able to have people that behind me that sort of supported that and believed in it. And mainly it was because I did actually find the people that I wanted to be connecting with, whether it be from a personal or professional perspective, were there. And I think that when you look at the rising class of marketing leadership, that's where these people that are the under 40s, like that's how they know how to navigate as agencies and as brands. If that's where you're going to try to either procure talent or yep. find clients, like that's where you go to develop that rapport. So give me a couple examples of the rise of the Illuminati type events. I mean, I think there's a few. Uh, um, and again, like the term Illuminati is not cement. To be any any negative sort of form, of, but there, uh, I went you know I went to a couple recently, and this is this tends to be you know October November tend to be busy months for yep. that area that time that that space. One was an event series called Breakout, which I really enjoy, and it's almost purely focused on nonprofit, and they go to what I deem to be sort of underserved cities from a market from a conference market perspective. So instead of doing events in Los Angeles and New York, which they do, it'll be in Detroit or Baltimore. And you get to know a city in a really intimate fashion with people that are doing nonprofit work. But at the same time, the people that are attending, and this is about a 200-person group, are also legitimate technology entrepreneurs, or even a lot of these people working nonprofit have half a million, million followings, right? So they have just as much impact that traditional influencers may have. Yep. I like that element of it. It also allowed me to get to know that city really in an intimate fashion. I recently went to one called Harvest Summit, which was based in Sonoma, which is about the intersection of food technology um, and entertainment, which another very different perspective. Like for me, it's like, you go into something where you know you're going to get people that are off the beaten circuit track of speakers. And I love listening to those big names, but at the same time, I want to see someone that's accessible, that is sort of doing something that is about to break free. And I like, I love the idea of just being in those smaller environments because you meet someone and the next day, for all you know, they get up on stage and you find out they raised a billion dollars to do, <laughs> to do something. And you're like, oh, right. that was someone I just had coffee with, which right. is not something you're going to get at a larger conference. No, because everybody's you get. pre-identified at the bigger places. Right, yeah. they're already billed. Yep. Like, that's what they're drawing to be. To exactly. yeah. It's the undiscovered at these smaller ones that I really enjoy. So how is technology playing a role in some of these newer events? Are, are they doing things, quote-unquote, better or more effectively? Are they, are they able to build connections leveraging technology in a more effective yeah. way? I mean, I think what you get is you tend to, because it goes back to that idea when I was saying, I want to be there early. You actually have people that feel they have vested interest in the event and the community, community being a key point, right? Mm. You're willing to experiment. So there may be, I've seen you know, things like chatbots, things like IoT, and you have these people that, since they're on the, on the early fringes, they're actually testing the technology on the ground because they view appropriately so that this is a highly qualified focus group of thought leaders right. inside of it. The other piece is when you're trying to justify a $3,500 ticket, Right, you want to give more assets throughout the course of the year, so someone comes back. So, what I often find is that, in addition to having you know really interesting sort of Facebook groups, they try to create a digital connection throughout the rest of the year to say, all right, you're, you're developing this community amongst these people, but relinquishing a little bit of control to allow them to connect. So, at the very least, even if you're not attracted to the content and these. Like these founders would probably kill me if I was saying that. <laughs> like you're coming back for the community. That's right. You know, and um, that's to me the most important piece of it. Because half the time when you're at these events, everyone has been a seasoned speaker. Yep. You know, so it's it's almost like you're just sitting in a living room in an incredible way with all these really interesting luminaries that you can then take back on the conference circuit for your own benefit. Right. Talk to me about how you see brands and marketers trying to connect with people. you know, Some of these, I'm sure, don't even have some of your traditional usual suspects at them, but those sponsors or affiliated marketing partners, how are they being successful or doing interesting things with these curated yeah. I mean, events? I think, one, it comes down to if that particular brand has a really 
ripe story to be told, like a legitimate yeah. um, reason to be there, particularly from the purpose side of things. I think it's also interesting to give perhaps undiscovered talent inside an organization that are doing incredible things a platform in a smaller environment to test them out before mm. you roll out. And yes, there are sponsored events, there are product launches that tend to work very well. I mean, I think when you view these smaller communities, it's almost like the physical component of an influencer marketing play. Yeah. Right? I mean, how much are you spending for whoever it may be to talk about the brand? In this case, these people have significant influence in those business communities that they can say, like, you know, and it's also commanding attention that whatever, the next Airbnb that's being created literally on the ground at these places, you want your brand X to be involved in that. Well, guess what? You're at the table with that conversation because right. a lot of people are out there doing side hustles and they're building companies literally on the ground at those spaces. That's why you want to be there. So it's about scale discovery and it's about having a conversation, not like a sales conversation. Right. So it's to some extent a little bit of a more modern and updated you know, view of the stereotypical play around of golf. I think so for sure. And yeah. funny, like my first, <laughs> first internship was at Golf Magazine, right? So I learned the power of that. But this is in a much more contemporary way. You're talking about a generation that is lusting after experience. Yeah. And that's what they're tapping into and you're giving them incredible opportunities to do so. Yeah. So there's like there's elements of wellness. Lately there's a lot of based on current trends of meditation and yoga and healthful eating and things like that. Everything is highly curated to a T down to the the products that sit in the the lounge. Right. I recently saw a company reposition the gift bags as a gifting suite, right? <laughs> so like literally lined up around the corner to get whatever these these shots and I think that's the way to do a really interesting conference where people are discovering not only people and content but also products. When you sit down and and you engage with a client, are you engaging with the marketing organization, are you engaging with the event team, are you engaging with, you know, learning development HR, are you engaging with social marketing you know, yeah. where does sort of your clientele come from in a in an organization? It's a little bit all of the above, but it usually starts at the C suite and yeah. typically the CML. And that's because they have larger mandates and then they have also purview across an organization. I think a lot of times I went in through a paid media perspective because that's where my background was. And then I sort of escalated that a little bit because I was looking at different areas. One of the things from an innovation perspective, and I think in many cases we can agree that that word is often misused, innovation is about education. Yep. But then increasingly when you look at innovative effort that are taking place inside of an organization, that impacts culture, that impacts talent procurement, that impacts talent retainment, right? So all these different areas, you start to bring other pieces in. So back to the piece of the events, I think you're starting to see this more and more, but organizations are saying, hey, we need to send our, our heads of talent down the ground. Because like back in my media link days, right, it was like the first place I would hear that people were looking for a job or looking to make a move was at CAN or CES, yep. right? So like that's where you want to be that's if right. you're trying to, trying to get that talent because you're not going to do it through a standard search mechanism, right? And you also can actually test them out whether they're, how do they work a room, what's the chemistry look like? Let's talk about the state of the CMO. What's your observation on the current, you know, major challenges facing CMOs? Where are sort of marketing services partners in providing support, you know, the right kind of support that maybe CMOs are looking for? It varies by industry and by CMO. I think we're in an incredibly difficult time right now with costs being cut across the board, particularly in the agency sector, right? We're being like demands for tighter and tighter margins and they're looking for trusted advisors. Do you see any common challenge across them or a lot of people are grappling with how to think in the like the retail space for sure when you think about CPGs or spirits companies and things of that yep. nature is like how do we how do we develop a retail environment that drives more throughput that drives more foot traffic 
thinking about areas of experiential and storytelling and things that they historically have leaned on their agencies heavily to do so. And now as people bring services in-house, what is the redefining role of that agency? It's also, I mean, it seems like a shorter and shorter shelf life for a CMO. It's not long. Yeah, like two and a half, <laughs> two and a half years. Yeah, right? What are they getting wrong? I was hope, especially coming from my background on the agency side, that they would be more candid with the needs that they sort of have with their agencies as opposed to not necessarily admitting what they do or what they don't know. It is cloaked a lot of times, isn't it? There are plenty of times, like when I, when I was on, on the other side and then I started seeing in a m- little more of a transparent way how many things that what we were doing on the agency side that were necessarily seeing the light of day on the other, yeah. and then they were spending money to be you know out there investigating it. So it's it's a two-sided fault, right? Like that is also about agencies being more proactive in the education that they can provide in a way that feels somewhat not as condescending, you know. And I'm not saying that, that agencies are condescending. I'm just saying like nobody wants to admit what they don't know, right? And if you can discover it together in a way, that's often a win. I think you're onto a great point, which is, I mean, there's something around the humanity of the client-agency relationship that probably could use some work, whether that's trust-oriented, whether that's style and approach, whether that's you know the degree to which education feels innate and inclusive as opposed to, hey, this is some special thing that we know that you don't. I think you've got an interesting point there. It's also balancing like the value of a gut insight versus qualified data, right? Like I mean sometimes you just see something that is like you feel that you have to, you know, invest time and effort into and then it pays off. And other times like, you know, look, I'm a fan of data analysis and everything too, but sometimes you just have to look at what's happening in culture. My view, great brands are ones that penetrate pop culture, right? And once you do that, then that's like the holy grail of brand marketing. And yeah. Like you, you become part of this movement and then people follow you. It's about deeper relationships. I agree with you. I, look, the, the idea that the CMO role is becoming infinitely more quantitative is exactly right. And yet, what has always guided great marketers, which does have to do with instinct and gut and connection to you know the zeitgeist of a particular moment that still really matters yeah you can like pressure test it with data when i was talking to people that particularly creatives that you know when you I know mean, there were times i was working with a lot of very large data companies and they'd say well you can never you never rep- replicate what we do from a creative standpoint yes but i could probably help you to get to that core insight quicker you can look at market sizing right you can look at sentiment you can look at behavioral analysis and then say at the very least <laughs> like bad example but a client comes back and say why did you do that whatever kick in the balls video yep. kind of thing well we did that because we saw 20 million people doing that so the assumption was that this is the scale that we're going after right mm-hmm. to justify why perhaps a, a risky idea should should live in the ecosystem or the other way around you look at brands like Nike, they're doing a great job with you know, the, the Kaepernick campaign. Like, I can only assume that they ran, ran numbers, right, to see that on top of being important from a, a cultural, a societal standpoint, that there was a certain amount of risk they, they were exposed to for potential sales loss, right? It ends up working out for them in the long term, right? But like, I mean, I think we all have to think about that from a, a risk management perspective. I think they made a, a set of triangulations around risk, around opportunity, and around maybe where some connection point to certain audiences for other brands, they felt that they had a weakness. And then they made a brave move, right? Yeah. Which is what you see, I think, a certain amount of brands. Like a lot of times these days, I, I talk a lot about purpose, one, because it means a lot to me, right? To yep. be involved with brands that do things that are, that are important, but um, they're more profitable, right? Like if you look at the, the connections that they can create with consumers is much more meaningful than just buying a product. So what does purpose mean to you? For me, it's putting a stake in the ground on something that matters. Trying to think more broadly about the wide array of what consumers care about. 
in my opinion, you think about more broadly, like what are a multitude of things that consumers care about that demonstrate that, you, that you're listening to them? For me, purpose, 20% of my business is purpose, right? I, I, like I started my business with literally pro bono clients, mm. right? When I came out and I said, I want to start this in the same way that Google's like 20% play out there. It's like 20% of my business is always going to be focused on brands that I care about, mainly because I, in the past, I couldn't afford the time that I wanted to on those board seats. Now I could start with that. And then that just led to working with nicer people, like honest people, and then, but really smart, profitable brands as well. Just something that, that's meaningful to me. One of the things you do is, is try to connect brands and marketers to innovation, to educate them on possibility of innovation. How do you see that work, and how's that done in the best way? Well, it's a lot of scouting, to be honest. There's a part of my business that I call you know, the uncommon, because I always had a bunch of, my, my network is vast. Um, I spent a lot of time developing it, mainly because I like talking to people. And I had buckets that I couldn't necessarily sit them in. I couldn't productize them in a way that, I could close a deal with a brand. And now, in many cases, they have really interesting perspective. They are educators in, the, in their own right. When you go in education first for a sales first, it always leads to, in my, my opinion, a better and more productive deal. And bringing in those different perspectives, one educates the brand marketer, creates a deeper connection, and actually probably can have a more meaningful connection with consumers. So like, why just look at the tools that we're used to doing when in order to differentiate yourself from the competitors, you should be looking at different perspectives. And like, that's why I spend so much time as I do on the conference circuit, because I find all those people. I pick the best and the brightest, and then I build them into my own network and hopefully in some ways elevate them. I mean, I'm already getting paid by brands, right? So in many cases, the companies that I find, I'm a believer in them myself. Right. In some cases, I actually personally invest or I invest my time in them because I think it's the best opportunity for the, for the particular brand. If you could provide advice and counsel to your clients or brands or marketers that aren't currently your clients around this moment in time from a mission, you know, brand value perspective, especially in the United States, what would you counsel that they be mindful of? Be curious. Have tons and tons of conversations. Be open to new perspectives. Be open to smaller companies that are out there. Like, Be proactive in the ecosystem. Don't try to mold something to what you think that your brand needs to do. Listen to them and say, like, here's the opportunity for us to partner with you to, to build together. Because that's just a good story. right? Like, Brands that are out there that are actually fostering the technological, cultural innovation ecosystem are the ones that are winning because they're not saying, hey, this is what you should look like. They're actually listening to a company that's disrupting other markets and coming along for the ride and, and supporting them the best that they can. That's what I would say. If you ran a holding company... What would you be doing? I'm smiling over here because I was about to walk out the door. No, I'm just kidding. I would invest in talent. That's the first thing that I would do. What would you tell your current clients about what you're going to do, about what you're going to change, about what you're going to, how you're going to be more meaningful to them? I would say in addition to all of the investments that we're making in technology and data, we're going to be really focused on exactly what you're doing here, which is like the human piece of it, mm. to, to blend sort of the art of, of art and science. And I think it's like, Regardless of what we see from the, from the technology ecosystem, like there needs to be that element of human touch, right? So we don't make ridiculous decisions that, that are just purely led by data. At some point, everyone's going to have similar technology and similar amounts of data, I guess, you know? Then it's how we interpret that. Yeah, how you leverage it. Like how you leverage it. I try to surround myself with a lot of people from different creative disciplines so I can look at perspective uh, with my own work through their lens. And that's been really interesting to me. Like, how does a musician view the world a lot of times through vibrations? Or how does an artist view certain things? And I, I try to bring that component into, into the work that I do with 
like in the media world. That's a very Renaissance man answer. I like that. I was an art history major. I don't know how I ended up in this. I think I just needed to get paid. Neil, thanks so much for joining us here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Please remember that you can find us anywhere you find pods. Uh, Please subscribe and make sure you listen. And if you have an idea or a little bit of feedback, we'd love to hear that too. Thanks so much.